Reading Roulette.net. This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. And I'm Bill Lyon. And this week, choose-your-own-adventure number one, The Cave of Time by Edward Packard. Reading Roulette. Choose. Reading Roulette. Choose your own. Reading Roulette. Choose your own adventure podcast. Check, 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 check. Testing it out. Cave of time. Cave. Cave, cave, cave. Cave, cave of time. Cave of time. By the way, cave. you might need to watch out here because I'm going to get hyped. I might be- Cave! Like, I could be... Like, I saw that peaking. That fucking cave of time! Like, I'm going to get into this. Cave of... Oh, there... Cave of time. <laughs> Choose your own adventure! Cave of time! Do you And I don't know if I told you they had uh, this show on PBS. It's called Overhead. So it's called like Overhead Italy, Overhead Mediterranean, Overhead Hawaii. So all it is is just like aerial footage of the topography of the countries. Cool. So the Hawaiian one, you know, they they shot a lot of the stuff for Jurassic Park in Hawaii. So it looks like it when you turn it on, I'm like, wow, this is all Jurassic World should have been. Yeah, just was that like, instead. Maybe maybe even have like one or two dinosaurs, like very small. Yeah. And they're natural, but it's just like not even they're acknowledged. Fine. That would be fucking awesome. And that's it. Be a fucking awesome move. Like you just and you just like kind of see from a distance, like this dinosaur that might be eating a baby and you don't even know. You don't even like, know. I mean, I'm talking a human you baby, right? <laughs> you know, just to be clear about. here, you're just like, whoa, shit, did I just see, no? Well, I don't know. running, something like that. Yeah, running from the dinosaur. The, the perspective, but yeah. just not not acknowledge any narrative. No narrative. Because it's always going to be the worst <laughs> no element. narrative. Yeah, you know, they just had... get rid of the narrative. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Jurassic World 2. No narrative. That's <laughs> no, like, no colon, narrative. colon, no narrative. <laughs> no That's narrative. in the title. <laughs> Because when you're a kid or something like that, you know, you always think, "Fuck this narrative." You don't yeah. need any narrative. No, you're just you just want to see dinosaurs. Exactly. See you this know, dinosaur. Like, you in wanna... some of these movies, you wait and you wait. Or, oh, uh, fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> you know, Mothra shows up at like fuck it. an hour and, no. and a half into the movie. No, what are you talking? Kimmy, no, no narrative. Mothra, like two minutes into the movie, you don't need you don't need a, a plot. No, you don't need a plot. <laughs> Just a giant monster. A monster is enough of a story by itself. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, there's a monster. Like, you don't so, need a setup you know, yeah. for it. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm impressed. I don't I don't get to see a monster every day in my life. My actual. <laughs> Waking life, I'm scared already. I'm very impressed or something. And that's how I learned actually patience. I learned a lot of patience by watching those old <laughs> movies. You have to watch this setup, this endless manners and everything. Yeah. And people just talking, you go, wow. You build it up in your own mind more because when he shows up, he doesn't really do anything. You remember that, uh, the old uh, Chris Farley sketch? Which one? Where he's like, uh, Wolfman and he's like no no oh they're making fun of the fact that they had no they had poor special effects <laughs> okay. so he's like in a jail cell and he's you know a human being he's like I feel like I'm turning into a wolf and then he drops below the camera he like ducks down and has like a little you know like a little mustache <laughs> I I and he's like this. I am slowly turning more and more into a wolf <laughs> then he ducks down again and comes up with like full wolf gear he's like I am fully a wolf now the moon has made me thus you know, I mean it's not written written that well <laughs> you know obviously but I feel like in those days the suspense was just because they didn't have the ability to show a convincing wolf human although with the Dracula why not you could just have Dracula all the just time just have him go 
was like, <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of these people, you know, must have come from theatrical backgrounds, storytelling backgrounds. Yeah. They weren't they weren't that radical. Yeah, they weren't thinking like we are no narrative. Why would Dracula necessarily <laughs> have to have a, a structure anyway? Yeah. That kind of goes in with these these true zero and adventure. Oh, books. good segue. Because <laughs> you know, this is one of the most successful experimental storytelling. Maybe the only. Yeah, or maybe the only thing. There's like the Beatles. <laughs> and choose your own adventure is the only successful experimental art forms maybe of modern times. That movie Memento. That's like it. Now put the Memento between choose your own adventure and the Beatles. The Beatles. You get Memento. <laughs> so I guess that that brings us to our first episode. Oh, we do. All right. <laughs> Reading roulette. My shtick is to slap tables, Brian. <laughs> I have a long vaudeville career of slapping <laughs> tables. I'm slapping slappy youngman. All right, welcome to the Reading Roulette. Reading Roulette podcast. I am one of your hosts. I'm Bill. the other. <laughs> Who is the other host? <laughs> My name is Brian Ward. I am one half of the hosts of Reading Roulette. Do you ride the woolly man? And we are doing a deep dive on the Choose Your Own Adventure series of paperback of books. books. Yeah, I don't think there were hardcovers. I think these all were paper. If there are hardcovers, choose your own adventure. I'm so excited about this. When you when you first told me about this, what, what did I do? I freaked out. You, you did freak out. I freaked out like in an exciting... I think I was thinking about earlier how to describe this, and I, I, I think I, I yelled with joy. <laughs> That's not a cliche. I pictured you on your back, with your legs kind yes! of bicycling in the air, yes! pinwheel kicking. Yeah, I was, I, I, like, just I'm gonna imitate my response. I was so excited when you told me your idea to do a deep dive, read every single, choose the hundred and from one yeah. to. We don't even know. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what we've gotten into. I think it's 180. 180. Four. Okay, yeah, there you go. Read every single one of these books. Do a podcast on all of them. Sometimes multiple yes. podcasts. Do every single Choose Your Own Adventure. My response was, I think I went, like, almost like you had scored a touch. Like, somebody had dunked. It was like a monster dunk on somebody. It's like Sean Kemp, like, dunking over Spud Webb. I don't think that ever happened. But if it did, I was like, oh! Oh, my God! This is actual. It's like an actual reenactment, like a, a Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries is me. There was a little more giddiness. Oh, yeah. It wasn't more was like, like yeah. excruciating yeah, no. agony. <laughs> oh! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! But you, oh my God, I love these books. These are so great. Oh, and I was telling you about that YouTube video I watched where that guy, he, he, he just, his eyes lit up. He was somebody maybe a little bit older than us. He had a book and he was like, a wave of nostalgia wafted over me as I read these books oh, for the I'm first sure, time. Oh, sure. So this has been... It's 1977. The first one is written. What, so this is 40. Is that 40 years now? 40. Wow, that's that's insane. 40 years. These are older than us, slightly, <laughs> slightly older than us. <laughs> but I, I I've always thought they came out when we did. We grew up in the 80s, the mid 80s, yeah. probably the best time to grow up in best. America in the history of the world. Yeah. For pop culture, entertainment geared towards preach youth. <laughs> 
I just always remember these books being around and having them in front of us. The smell is the same. Oh, the smell is so good. It's almost like a recipe. You know, it has little, like, it's like one eighth, <laughs> one teaspoon of mildew. You know, a little more on mine than a teaspoon. There's like a tablespoon of like kid throw up and like that pink salt stuff that janitors the would put over the throw. Yeah, the sawdust. Whatever, whatever. I, that, I can see some of the, the pink sawdust in mine. Uh, you smell a little. You smell a little like mine looks a little funkier. Yeah, yeah, yours is a little funkier. My mine looks a little more mint. Anyway, yeah, the, the smell of these is glorious. It's amazing. The covers are beautiful. So we're gonna do every this week. Whatever we're doing, The Cave of Time, number one. Very first book, The Cave of Time. Uh, we need to hear what this book is about, Cave of Time. Why don't you read, these are so great, The Back Jacket, and give us a little synopsis, Brian, of uh, what we're going to hear here. The very first book, the whole series, it begins with a black void. How appropriate. Looking into the blank nothingness with a weird little lizard salamander creature. Oh, you're describing the picture. I thought this was the actual <laughs> copy. I thought you were reading. I'm like, wow. Big and deep. <laughs> Steer into the void. <laughs> Steer into the you void. already bought the book. <laughs> Child. So you are the hero of your own adventure. You are lost in a strange, dimly lit cave. Gradually, you can make out two passageways. One curves downward to the right. The other leads upward to the left. It occurs to you that one leading down may go to the past, and the one leading up may go to the future. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. Is that written there, or did you just... No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's true. That's good copy. Only you can find out. And the best part is... You can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredible, daring adventures. Oh, did I? Oh, did I? And this book has... How many how many endings does this book have, Bill? Uh, I don't know. Look it up in the uh, the database here. Oh, <laughs> it's just on the cover. <laughs> the oh, database right. on the front cover says 40 possible endings. In the course of these books, 40 is a good amount. Yeah, that's high. The cover has... Some of them, you see there's a, <laughs> a purple dragon, purple a, dragon. Uh, a guy in uh, jeans riding a horse, and a T-Rex in front of the moon by a castle, a bearded knight that I believe you never meet. No, none of this happens. <laughs> <laughs> You've hiked through Snake Canyon once before while visiting your Uncle Howard at Red Creek Ranch, but you never noticed any cave entrance. It looks as though a recent rock slide has uncovered it. Though the late afternoon sun is striking the opening of the cave, the interior remains in total darkness. You step inside a few feet, trying to get an idea of how big it is. As your eyes become used to the dark, you see what looks like a tunnel ahead, dimly lit by some kind of phosphorescent material on its walls. The tunnel walls are smooth, as if they were shaped by running water. After 20 feet or so, the tunnel curves. You wonder where it leads. You venture in a bit further, but you feel nervous being alone in such a strange place. You turn and hurry out. A thunderstorm may be coming, judging by how dark it looks outside. Suddenly you realize the sun has long since set, and the landscape is lit only by the pale light of the full moon. You must have fallen asleep and woken up hours later. But then you remember something even more strange. Just last evening, the moon was only a slim crescent in the sky. You wonder how long you've been in the cave. You are not hungry. You don't feel you've been sleeping. You wonder whether you should try to walk back home by moonlight or whether to wait for dawn, rather than risk losing your footing on the steep and rocky trail. Holy oh, shit! Oh my, oh my god, Bill. What do you do? 
So what was your first adventure out of the 40 different ways that this book could have ended? What was your very first journey? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I vaguely do because I <laughs> we, we kind of decided to, you know, chronicle our first read. The, slight, the cave does strange things to your mind. I understand. Yes, if, if you, slightly if after you don't I, remember exactly what happens. Well, I, I went into medieval times. I know that. And I'm pretty sure after I went to jail, I like got punished by a king. My lord, you say? My liege, he replies. You ride off, somewhat apprehensive, but intent upon making as much of your life as is possible in the year 982. That, that, it was really disappointing, I think, first ending. Listen, <laughs> this medieval adventure is maybe the worst medieval adventure I've ever been on in my mind, in reading, <laughs> in like, in video games. Edward Packard, who we love, I feel like his his message here was just that times were bad in the past and you've got it good in present times because you have like, you know, amenities like electricity and running water and God was it awful back then. You know, he's like right away, you're just you're just accused by this king of like immediately. Yeah. Immediately. You you step through into this wonderland. You're thinking as this as as a child like I'm I'm reading this with childlike wonder, Brian. Well, exactly, childlike exactly. and I'm oh I'm in medieval times. This is great. There's a knight. Mm -hmm. And then right away he's like I th I'm just making this up. I, I think this is in there. But he's like, you're, you're poaching the king's venison <laughs> or whatever. And then you're imprisoned immediately, and there's no good outcome. You <laughs> and just, the knight is kind of a dick, he's too. Still, he's big a big He's dick. a terrible character. He's a big dick. And then there's like a section where they just laugh at you for saying, like, I'm <laughs> from the future. It's like, if you tell them you're from the future, turn the page away. And you tell them, and they're like, uh... You're not from the future. I don't believe you. That's the freaking end. And they also look disappointed at you if you say yeah. the other thing. Both ways are terrible. You, you've made some transgression yeah. that everyone knows is horrible and offensive. Yep. When I think of knights and kings, of course, the kings have eight foot tall, long clown feet. <laughs> yes. You know, you come into these adventures as a kid looking for excitement and wonder, and you find the ultimate bureaucratic dead end. Yes. The very first thing that happened to me. I ended up braving the wind, and I ended Wait, up... Wait, so you didn't go back into the cave? I think that's your option in the beginning, right? I did not go back. <laughs> I, I, I immediately went back. I was already sick Whoa, of the cave. Hold on, before you go, any for, like, this is... I, I hate these options where it's like, do you want to have an adventure, or do you, like, pussy out, like, a well, little bit? Well, which one do you like better, go left or right? Well, yeah, that's like... But, I mean, here, it's like, if you decide to start back home, or if you decide to, to wait, basically, like, hang out in the cave, going back home is almost like... Like giving it, up. Giving up. I want you to party. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. So I always choose the most, my first read through, I always choose the most daring. I always choose the, the yeah, hardest sure, option, sure. the most fun. I ended up going back in a cave. Yeah, you have no so other there, option. There you have you to go. Go. It's called there the freaking cave of time. Yeah. It's not like the go home of time. And I could have been a printer or a soap maker. Oh, and man. I chose to die as a printer. That is a dark chapter in this book. <laughs> another, another complete <laughs> dead end where there's no fun at all, where the message is just, Capitalism is great. Thank God we have it. In the past, things were awful. Right? I mean, isn't that the message I you remember, took out of I, I remember in one, he was very happy. And maybe he was happy to be a printer. I think in the other ending, he was very displeased to oh, be yeah, a soap maker. It tells you how to feel. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. you feel, girl, you feel <laughs> happy <laughs> with your choice to be a soap maker. Although you feel you would probably enjoy the printing business more than a career as a soap maker, you wish to remain free to take advantage of some other opportunity. The work with Uncle Ted is tedious. You feel you could not bear life devoted to making candles and soap. 
You spend most of your spare time reading what books you can lay hold of. That's so depressing. Like I thought, yeah. by the way, these books get fun, right? They, they, uh, this is this is like the very first book, but I just was so surprised how not fun all of these options were. Yeah, obviously we wouldn't be doing this show if we didn't have incredible memories of these books. Deep love for these books. I had never would have imagined at the beginning of this journey that the very first thing that would have happened to me was become a, a printer. Oh. Of all of time, Cave of Time, <laughs> and on the back of the book, it's just a picture of the cave. Just a cave. It's not a picture of a printing press. No. You know, an Uncle Ted. Yeah, right away, if I'm a kid, I'm, I'm like throwing this book out. I'm like, I mean, you know, I'm not a Nazi. I'm not going to, but I, I would not continue reading after that. That was something that I actually thought was going to be in here. Which I guess he had some restraint. Oh, Nazis? No, no. There's no Nazis. No. And what did you think of the homespun advice? Abe Lincoln's fortune telling. Abe fucking Lincoln. (laughs) There's a a nice illustration of Abe Lincoln. You get on his train by accident. Oh, the picture. The picture. (laughs) The picture. Oh, it's so good. It's a touching picture. Abe, very tall, with his hand around like a 1970s looking very short child at the back of his head with a big like 70s afro and these really tight 70s jeans showing this kid's butt. And, like, and the kid, not Lincoln. Yeah, the, the, the kid. The boy. Yeah, Abe has like a yeah a top coat over his butt, but it just looks like Abe's reaching down to grab the kid's butt. I'm not going to lie. Like, look at it right here. Like, what are you thinking when you're looking? It looks like he's like, no, I shouldn't. Like, he he's... He's considering. Well, he's also his gaze is to the distance. He's looking at whoever's looking at the both of you. Yeah. He's got a, a faraway look in his eye. He's on a train too, and he's talking to you. But uh, do do you see the future there that he's he's seized for you as as oh. random Boyd? That's all right. The president tells the soldiers, I could use some company right now. You may stay until we reach. Gettysburg. <laughs> Bomb. Whoa. Whoa! But as a 10-year-old kid, he should know what Gettysburg is. Has no reaction to the fact that you're witnessing the Gettysburg. Right, right away I'm saying, Mr. Lincoln, don't go to any plays. That's what you're freaking, you're in the cave of time. His, this, your options to change time in this time tree, you don't take any advantage no, of you, it. you say nothing. You say nothing, you're boring. You give Lincoln no warning. No, how could, this is unconscionable. He gives you fortune cookie advice. You nod in agreement and sit quietly watching the president scribbling some lines on an envelope. After a while, he looks up from his writing, and you look each other in the eyes. You have a great future, he says abruptly. How can you tell, you ask? By looking at your face. A lot of people have attributed a lot of things to Lincoln, but never looking in a boy's face and telling him he has a wonderful future. (laughs) Is that called physiognomy? I think that's the study. That's that's when he studies the size of people's brains to see. That's what, phrenology. Phrenology, yeah. <laughs> I think it's physiognomy or phys- physiognomy. There's a return of the cave of time, so maybe you go back and meet Lincoln. You're and like, then oh, he feels your head and Lincoln, says, "I was wrong. I yeah. fucked up. You're gonna die. <laughs> Do not go to that play." By the way, you need to make good on that forty acres and a mule shit because that is gonna come back gonna to like back. make the country like really hurt the country for a long, long, long time. But instead. You do nothing. You do nothing. You find it amazing to be living in a time with no cars, radios, television, record players, or even telephones. I think it says something about, but there are wars, though. Aside from the Civil War. Yes, everything's very, very It's peaceful. a very peaceful time. Aside from yeah. one of the most bloody wars <laughs> in human history. Aside. It's a very peaceful time. <laughs> I have no complaints. It's... I love living in the 1860s. Oh, that's great. 
That's great. So the, the other character that gives you uh, sage advice is actually a wise man. Oh, this is like the who heart lives of the cave in of the them, yeah. middle of the cave. Yeah, we're gonna go right to the philosophical core oh. of the book. Philosophical core. You meet some sort of uh, wise or unwise mystic. Yeah, you meet some kind of old like father time like Who's god living in this cave. Somehow understands the cave and can direct you through there. And he says the words, "I am a philosopher." You ask him who he is, he says, I am a philosopher. I, I think philosopher. I think they capitalize the P. You're getting little doses. So we already learned the lesson that... Uh, no, I love that part. It got, it got kind of deep. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So you already learned that knights are horrible. Kings are horrible. Right, The yeah. Civil War so is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's the most peaceful time. <laughs> and now you're going to get a massive dose of philosophy. I am a philosopher, the old man says, who, when asked to choose a time, Instead, chose timelessness, so that, although nothing would ever happen in my life, I would have all the time in the world to think about it. Are you happy with your decision? No, because philosophy is nothing outside of time. Take the tunnel to your right, return to your own time, and let your life be your philosophy. Which is sage advice, considering when he gives you the option to choose two times, he sends you to an apocalyptic war zone, Not and cool. you're instantly Not vaporized, cool, dude. Thanks a lot, philosopher. This guy looks like God. You know, like the way that he's like this giant white beard is basically God sitting on a throne, he and he and like he kills very, you. Yeah, he looks like a god, but he looks like a dirty god. He's God. He's dirty he's God. Again, with the weird Lord. clown socks and the grotesque feet. <laughs> Listen, they had, this guy had Granger had deadlines here. <laughs> <laughs> it's an impressive dirty god. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind of a cool... I, I expected more of that. You're in the Cave of Time, and there's this, like, weird deity who, who lives sure, in there. Sure, sure. The rest of it is more just like... I think the only choice that he gives you is to return to your own time, and he says, well, do the best you can with it. Make your own choice. Yeah. Which I guess is the only positive affirmation from this guy. A good lesson to learn. You know what? Let's be positive. I, I loved Dr. Carlton Frisbee. My favorite character in the book. Yes. If this guy does not come back in book like 170 he needs to come back. or something, yeah. that is a crime. Dr. Carlton Frisbee, the famous paleontologist. The famous paleontologist. Oh, I love that name. Glorious character. So basically, you you go on this Loch Ness adventure, which I freaking I I, I feel like that was the best adventure in the book. Did you? What, what did An you think? Another amazing illustration. Amazing illustration. Because the Loch Ness monster, according to the front cover, is purple. Yeah. Love that. He has giant fangs. Yeah. But looks goofy as hell. Looks lovable. Oh. Even in one ending, when you're basically jumping into his mouth, it looks like to be eaten. He has the same expression whenever he appears. <laughs> it's like gleeful, stupid malevolence in every appearance. But that was kind of a left-hand turn from the feudal story, right? Yes. Yeah, there's you, one good option there. You escape. And then you meet your friend. He has this hilarious name. It's like he's trying to write like a, a Scottish name. And it's like Scotty McScotty Pants or something. <laughs> Duncan McTavish. That's better, way better than what it was. You could tell he's trying really hard. And then he kind of lets you hang out in their fishing village. It's the Loch Ness Monster Village. Yeah. And, you, and you find the Loch Ness. And then you, you, there's an option to swim away from the Loch Ness Monster. Mm -hmm. One where the Loch Ness Monster kills you. And then another one where you go under some kind of underwater passage and get back home with this Loch Ness Monster egg. Ooh, it's like a baby Loch Ness Monster. Eggs, yeah. And then and he, Dr. Carlton Frisbee doesn't totally diss you. At one point, he's like, hey, 
You, 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 this is good for science and you discovered the Loch Ness Monster. Good for you, congratulations. So that's the same paleontologist that finds your skull after you oh. are killed oh. on the woolly mammoth. Yes, yes it is, yes it is. The same Dr. Carlton Frisbee, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh wow. You hold tightly to tufts of wool, hoping the mammoth will slow down enough so you can safely slide off. But suddenly it pitches forward, making a terrible bellowing. In an instant, you realize you are falling through space. You cry out helplessly as you lose your grip, falling faster and faster. Thousands of years later, when Dr. Carlton Frisbee, the famous paleontologist, finds your bones next to those of a woolly mammoth in the Red Creek excavation, he is amazed at how closely you resemble a 20th century human being. Which is even more brilliant because it's the Red Creek expedition. It's right where you were to begin with oh, in yeah, the yeah. cave. Good ending. Solid Amazing. ending. Solid ending. Edward Packard is very adept at solid, punchy endings. <laughs> Great. You <laughs> see, totally. By the way, I, love the I might be totally wrong about this Dr. Carlton Frisbee thing. Maybe it's a different, maybe they don't even name the paleontologist, but that is one of the, you know, one of the options I'm talking about where they, you have the egg. Yeah, yeah, I remember the egg. The illustration of Dr. Carlton Frisbee on the ending with your woolly mammoth death, easily my favorite illustration in this book. Oh, this yeah. doctor has got the best mustache in the history of illustrated mustache. I can't think of one better. Yeah. It looks like stabs of barbed wire coming out of his a, nose. A world like, famous paleontologist. He's staring at a skull. This is like Hamlet with a like. magnifying yeah. glass. It's basically Hamlet with a magnifying glass. That, maybe that's why he's a famous uh, famous paleontologist. He's not famous for his paleontology. <laughs> his, his Hamlet, his Hamlet is not <laughs> acting abilities. Oh God! Alas, poor mammoth. <laughs> I knew him well. <laughs> poor, poor you. Yeah, for you. <laughs> oh yeah, let's talk about the worst character in the book. You. This this is like maybe one of the worst. I I beg to differ. Oh really? I think the worst character is the cave. Oh. I hate the cave. This is, this is just like Woody Allen. Like New York is a character. Yeah, the cave is a character. I agree. This cave is a bummer. The cave is supposed to have phosphorescent, glowing, and running water. Sometimes. But sometimes. <laughs> not, usually it's just you wander down a dark cave. Do you go left or right? Do you go left or right? Do you go right? You're falling. There's a rock slide. Oh, Endless, how many times? The stupid shit that happens to you in this cave. How many times does he say the write the word cave? How many times they really like? They really reinforce the word that you're in a cave over and over. Like they do not stop with the cave. That's short on time, long on cave. <laughs> long on cave. But I never felt like I was in a cave. No. Not that that's why I was reading the book. Maybe. To feel like I was in a cave. Maybe. But sometimes it's a tunnel. Sometimes it's you fall into a rock pond. How did you ever fall into a pond in a cave? Oh, there's so much falling. You're running and then you fall. You probably don't know this about me. We've known each other forever. My, I'm not just saying this for the sake of this. Uh, you have you have a cave story? My my no my my biggest fear in life is being trapped in a cave. Oh my god! And this book wasn't a trigger for I'm me at all. Oh, I was gonna say this probably didn't help because there was no. no real cave to speak of. In yeah, here. it didn't didn't help either either way. Help or hurt. Is there an old grungy philosopher in your nightmare cave? <laughs> now, now there is. <laughs> Do you have an uncle Howard? <laughs> So since we're talking about all the different time periods here, I made a timeline of the time periods of Earth according to Edward Packard. So you start with the Hadean Eon. It's 4.6 billion BC. 
he doesn't mention the Haiti. I just, no. you know, I just tried to, I basically, you know, did some carbon dating of this book and found out. Next, you have the Jurassic period, about 200 million BC, we're thinking. After that, Paleolithic, 20,000 BC. And after Paleolithic, the next period of Earth history is medieval England, 982 AD. Nothing else. Ah, oh, I felt so cheated by that. Those are all my, all my favorite periods of history, like just completely skipped over. And then you go right from 982, you think there's gonna be all this rena- No, no renaissance, no Leonardo um, da Vinci, no, nothing. Ming Dynasty, 1600 AD. We're talking like late Ming Dynasty. And then and what happens it's in the like Ming one dynasty? page. You show up and you instantly are forced into servitude, building the Great Wall of China. Yes, you're enslaved. Instantly. It, <clears throat> no fun, no meeting. Probably Edward, he did probably didn't know anything about Chinese history, just to be honest here. He just basically, yeah, thought, hey, Great Wall, I know that. Great and Wall of China. something wants me to say that that's a badass thing. <laughs> that he sends you to this place and then just gives you this thankless, pathetic role. But really, it is just pathetic and thankless. It's, yeah, not fun. Which is the love-hate relationship with these books. As amazing as they are, a lot of the endings are really unsatisfying. Oh, yes! And I think that's good, because as a kid, you know, something always happens miraculously. Beyond all reason, somebody comes back, somebody's saved. Yeah, it was such a great yeah, alternative to that, absolutely. absolutely. Be because also, it's not something that happens once or twice. You're repeatedly crushed down in meaningless, painful, horrible, existentially nightmarish deaths, and I think that's healthy. And in addition to that, I think it's just smart. Like, I think they did it on purpose to make you keep reading. You know what I mean? You'd read, because it yeah, makes you want to yeah. read the whole book. It's almost like trying to win. You know what I mean? There's it's like an, only it's like. An achievement. They call these game books. Yeah, there's like maybe like three really satisfying endings, and like, you know, what are there's 40 of these. So, you know, in 30 of them, you die. And <laughs> <laughs> so after Ming Dynasty, you, you go to straight to colonial United States, 1718. Like, there's nothing else interesting going on there in freaking Europe. Have you heard of Europe? Oh my God. Uh, and to break into this time, to do what? Not, you know, we've already met Lincoln. Yeah, you're not going with George anything. Washington. You're, you're not, not like, you're not yeah. You're not finding any plans. You're not helping. You're not listening to no probably, Roanoke, no witch trial. That would be amazing. It would be amazing. I Salem witch trial that. or something. Why not that? Why a not a printer ask? or a candle maker? Oh. I'm astounded that everyone takes you in. <laughs> there is no shortage in the history of time that you have access to, where a family does not immediately take yes. you in, where some knight family, cave people, proto-Hawaiian surfers, yeah, take you in. everybody's taking you in. Everyone loves you. <laughs> There's a lot of adoption going on in here. I don't know, maybe maybe EP was an orphan, I'm not sure. So And then from the cold, you go straight to the Civil War. Again, America, everything's freaking, I mean, I hate that, I hate that. I just love to get, maybe get me a little Napoleon. How about some Napoleon? Some Waterloo? You know what's more interesting than the freaking Civil War? Napoleon. Like, Jesus, like, come on. <laughs> like, when they sent him out to the island, Elba. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, you could imagine. Yeah, Napoleon on Elba, that would've been cool. That's interesting too, what do you do? It's you and Napoleon on out. I'm sure he wasn't alone, but. Not if you go through That's the Cave of Time and find him. Cave of Elben Time. Well, when I texted you, it came out Cafe of Time. Love which, cafe, I really, yeah. which I was really interested in, too. I think that's our <laughs> destiny, is to open the Cafe, the cafe of, time. of Time. Will you have a latte? And, like, I don't know, we just name them after boring periods of time. And then we just throw them, <laughs> throw the latte in their I face. Have two coffees. <laughs> the right one or the left? Yeah, just give me the coffee, which asshole. And he goes straight from the Civil War to the freaking Titanic, World War II London, K 
Cadillac times. That's what I named 1950 that was, AD. That was a, a very odd then ending. the present 1979 AD, and then you go to this very unsatisfying future 2022 AD, where people ride bikes. Do you remember this, Brian? Well, I remember a future that was even more pathetic, but I remember the bike riding. Tell me about the world outside your entrance to the Cave of Time. Is it in America? What year is it there, you ask, as the two of you walk along? The year 2022, of course, she replies. You mean people are still wearing blue jeans then, you ask? They've come back into style lately, she laughs. You must have some new inventions that we did not have in my time. Tell me about your most modern things. I think the best things are the bicycle trails. Since 1997, they've allowed no new roads to be built, only bike trails. And now there are as many miles of bike trails as there are roads of cars. Cadillac, the car of the year, every year. It's a you and Louisa. What a dead character. What a that no, dead ass Louisa. Oh my God, like that character does has no personality. That's just a cardboard. They should have just like called it character. They should have just said you and character X. She makes Nick Tyler son of the candle man. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah he's like party. Falstaff compared yeah. to like this girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that, was it Nick Tyler? Is that it? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's freaking great. Yeah, this girl does nothing. And there's I don't Do you know. You find her wandering in the cave. Yeah, you find her, and she's from like slightly, it's like from forty years in the future, basically our times mm -hmm. now. So that's kind of funny to hear that little anachronism of whatever. EP imagine the future was in 1977. He thought in 1997 we'd like eliminate cars and have bike trails. Little did he know. Little, little did he know we'd still be fighting wars over gasoline, right? So in this future, there's no new roads, but Cadillacs come out every year. Yeah, I love yeah. And, <laughs> and the costs of all the bike lanes are paid for on gasoline tax. It's a very confusing vision of. Future. I don't think he thought this out very hard. How about the other future, 3742 A.D.? This one was one of my favorite endings. I think so too. One of my favorite observations of this whole book. In the year 3742, they wear khaki pants and khaki shirts and tan sneakers, like that's the funniest future costume like I ever heard in all of science fiction. I don't, I'm not a, like a huge science fiction reader, but I mean, that's really funny. <laughs> no, no space helmets. No helmets. No moon boots. Nothing. No oxygen masks. Nothing. Like a khaki Canadian tuxedo, basically, mm -hmm. is what you got there. Well, well, you know why? Eventually, when you Please. when you see what your life is like there, because of course they take you in. Take you in. Take you in, and you have a nice view of California, or is it? Right. It turns out it's a view of a wall, you yeah. know, with a picture, and you get your choice of ten thousand movies. Yeah, you get Netflix. <laughs> Is that fucking hilarious? He invented YouTube, Net Netflix. Yeah, he, he foresaw Netflix, but he thought it would take us <laughs> 1,700 years to get it. That, I mean, to be fair, the computer didn't do very many things in 77. I mean, you had Atari. No, no. So he didn't see it. But yeah. The year 3742. One thing disturbs you. No one has made any new movies in the last 300 years. The end. What a gut punch. Gut punch. Ooh. Oh, man. It depresses you and shocks you and fills you with like a, I'd say, 
like an Edmund Burke level of sublime, <laughs> like a feeling for the sublime. That's one of the best examples of what makes these books so great right off the bat. One of these amazing endings. I agree. Of such profundity in such a minuscule firework of explosions. Oh, well, well said. My God. And he tells yeah. you of what an amazing, from the reader's perspective, the ultra peaceful civil war time <laughs> is infinitely preferred over the future. Must they have something to do with the gas tax in the last thousand years? That gas tax freaking paid off. We got, <laughs> Netflix, got Netflix, bitch. But it also says that there's no one interesting to talk to. Oh, yeah. You as the reader has no one interesting to engage with. So is that the reason that there's no more movies anymore? That there's no one even interesting enough? But he also says, too, that you spend all of your time actually becoming Roger Ebert, basically. You become the greatest film critic. All you do is watch the best movies ever made. That sounds great. And that's your life because there's no like one that. else left to interact with. But if all that's left is the greatest examples of humanity and artistic visual work, then why is everybody so boring? Yeah. What I took it to mean was that there'll be the cliche, everyone has some kind of different variation, but there's only five stories. You know what I mean? Like some, like a novelist will say, though, well, really, at, at, at in essence, there's only two stories. You know what I mean? But I feel like they really give it, give art 1,700 years, and maybe we reach that point where they just like figure it out, and yeah. it's like, wow, we did, we explored every single plot device and everything there's that could possibly, there's nothing left. He even gives a little uh, shout out to himself here too. Oh. That you become part of the story and you can change it and you adapt to it. So basically, yeah, yeah, he, he created you, his own visual version. He thought of, you'd have like basically uh, virtual reality, choose your own adventures yes, in the future, basically. which we which are like two years from having. I feel like more authors are more modest that they don't give themselves the- No, not Edward. The grand hat <laughs> on the back. And he waited yeah. one book. He one book, yeah, one book <laughs> to give himself, <laughs> you ever to see write that, himself into the story. That gif of whatever it's like, you 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 on tax. It's like me on tax day, and it's like your guys like got the the fur coat, and he's like got like a like a freaking riding with a cheetah in his car, you know, or whatever. I don't know. It's like yeah, I think that's what ever pair got the book advance for this one book, and he's like just bought everything. <laughs> I've made it. This, this thing is, is going to be future. huge. I am the future. future. I am your new god. <laughs> I'm here to collect the guest. <laughs> yeah. Dear Mr. Cave, I'm writing to you on my favorite thing. Chocolate. 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 It must be hard being famous and have people know all about you without knowing you. I saw your article in Spin. Okay, well, I wrote Haiti and Eon. I think that's where the universe is being created. You, like, walk through the cave. Is that where there's no oxygen? Or is that yeah. where the sun is not formed yet? No, that's, that's the, the red giant. giant there's a red giant ending, 7.5 yeah. billion AD. I looked that up. And the, the beginning of Earth, 4.6 billion BC. But both of them, you walk into this place with no oxygen, basically, and freaking die. Immediately. Immediately die. <laughs> Except to, oh, well, enough to be able to look at it. You, like, have, for some reason, even though you walk into, like, 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit, you just still get to, like, think, think you for, have like, enough two to paragraphs. Yeah. You have enough to process yeah. what's going on. <laughs> I think you get less time when he sends you to future Boston and you blow up in the bombs. Yeah. Because at least you have enough time to know it's Boston. 
I don't remember this Boston. I'm just I, nodding. I, I, remember, I remember somehow he sends you into Boston. Somehow Are you talking you, about the colonial? No, part? it's future Boston. Oh. Well, there's only one future I have here, and that's Netflix and spaceships, 3742 AD, and then red giant explosion, and then bikes, 2022 AD. But maybe I missed something. He's like, well, I'm in Boston now. And then, like, all these bombs fall on you. You know, I love that that's what these books do. We don't even know if we're talking about the same book. I don't even know. That's what the cave does to people. Oh, my God. Which ending did you prefer, of the pre-Earth death or the post-Earth death? Uh, man, I'll take pre because po that's kind of depressing, that red I giant death. I loved the post-Earth oh, ending. Did you? I thought that was amazing. Right. It was the summary of the cave. Now it is clear what has been happening. <laughs> Keep the laughter in it. The cave is a crack in the universe, a place outside space-time. Once inside its tunnels, you could find yourself at any place at any time. If you enter again, you might be sent to a place from which you could never escape. Yet that is your only hope of returning to your own place in time. And then immediately your choices are to go back in the cave or remain outside. <laughs> yeah! Do you have fun or not? There was two amazing choices for as many go right or lefts, which are the nadir of this series. This book has a lot of them. But the first one that I liked was, and why is it even a choice? Do you get on the spaceship? Yeah! Yeah, why I do! Why would you not get or on the not. spaceship? Yes, I get on the spaceship! Yeah, that is that is not even a choice. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you gotta get on the spaceship. My god. I believe you're rewarded with death if you don't. Fittingly. Fittingly. <laughs> well, cause and effect here. You make the best choices you can, and you get shit on. Love it. Story of my life. That is definitely a fitting conclusion. You don't get on that spaceship, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You don't deserve You don't deserve to you live. You don't deserve to live. Yeah, I know, I agree. And and I think you're in like caveman times, right? Yeah. Are you in the Paleolithic era? Uh -huh. Just like with some kind of cave and the spaceship comes and it's like, do you stay in caveman times or get on the space? I get on the spaceship. I mean, I don't know. Are you like surrounded by like a bunch of really hot naked cave ladies? Like, I don't think so. I think these are like, they're knocked out is the first thing. So there's unconscious cavemen. Un yeah, knocked out. Or a spaceship. <laughs> do, you, do you like <laughs> take advantage of these unconscious cave people? Do what you will with the unconscious cave specimens. <laughs> or get on the or spaceship. Or get on the spaceship. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and the other do you ride the Willy Mammoth. There's no question. If you, Unquestionable. If someone asks you, do you ride the woolly mammoth? You say, ride, 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 ride. Yes. Very good. How does a kid in 1979 know the intimate details of the Titanic sinking? Why not let the kids save the Titanic? Like, there's this... You just know too much. It's kind of disturbing. It's like you, you, the kid just did a paper on the Titanic for his like sixth grade. Knows whatever. nothing about the Gettysburg Address. Knows nothing about the knows, knows, knows yeah. the intimate workings of the Titanic. Yeah, he doesn't know Lincoln gets shot, but he knows like freaking everything about the Titanic. I also like uh, the only reason you meet Lincoln is because there's a cow on the train tracks. I like that. That's good writing. It says. You sadly return down the stairs and wait in line for one of the places in the lifeboat. You just accept that it, yeah. it's gonna... I guess it already hit, so there's no way you can really... Oh, yeah. Captain, you call out. You may not realize it, but the ship will sink in only two or three hours. He turns and looks at you gravely. I know, he says softly. But we're going to fire distress rockets. That ship out there, the Californian, should respond to help us. They will not respond, Captain, you tell him. 
They can't believe the Titanic could be in trouble, even though they see your rockets. Your only hope is to put your strongest men in a lifeboat and have them row toward the Californian at top speed, firing rockets as they approach. Great heavens, you have bold ideas, the captain replies, but I need every man I have to lower our lifeboats and keep order among the passengers. I can't believe the Californian will not come when they see our rockets. Now go to the deck below. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about, dude. What the hell? How does this kid... And I feel like what really happened here is Edward Packard had just finished reading a book about the Titanic when he, like, or, you know, just within the last, like, month or two when he was writing this. So it was before the Titanic movie. He was on the pulse (laughs) of uh, the zeitgeist. You would be able to watch this if you jumped into the future (laughs) and had your 10,000 movies. You could watch the Titanic and know this. But he also just calmly accepts this. He just finds his place in line and waits for the lifeboats. By he, you mean you. You, yes. yes. characters. I'm not, I don't want to take responsibility for this ending, but I guess, I guess it's on me. Does uh, DiCaprio at least paint your picture? Like, you don't even get that. Like, what's up? Yeah, and you lose hope of ever going back to the cave of time. You, you find your family in like about two of them. And your Uncle Howard is a dick, which you knew he would be. Your loved ones in these books, a lot of the times, they're kind of dicks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of common sometimes in children's fiction too, though. Like The the, non-believing. Yeah, the Mm non-believing adults. I found the name of your your Scottish friend, Angus McPhee. (laughs) (laughs) How could I forget Angus? His wife took me in. They made me fish. I gotta tell you another, this is maybe one of my favorite parts of the book, where you knife the wolf. Oh, the, the wolf knifing. Holding your knife with its long ivory blade pointing upward, you advance very slowly, step by step toward the wolf, which stands growling softly, apparently confused by your boldness. Then it springs. You lunge with your knife, twisting your body to avoid its awesome fangs. Your knife cuts through nothing but air, but the wolf succeeds only in tearing off your bearskin coat. It stops for an instant to sniff at the coat, and you turn and plunge your knife into its neck. The wolf twists, looks at you with hate in its eyes, and falls limp, its spinal cord severed. Now you are a true Stone Age hunter. You skin the wolf and walk into the cave. And, and fall into a bottomless pit yeah, immediately after. Yes, you do. That's one of my favorite parts of this. Now you oh. are a true Stone Age hunter. Oh my god, I love... I love it. The sentence, the wolf twist, looks at you with hate in its eyes. Its spinal cord severed. <laughs> That's funny to me. Is that funny to you? It's incredibly visceral. For this kid who's just like Abe Lincoln looks into your face and says, I predict you have a good future. <laughs> the Civil War is great. Everything's great. And then you like have this wolf murder. You're just a kid in the 70s with your pants and your hair and you're severing Spinal columns and <laughs> that's how, skinning. That's and how the 70s were. Everybody had knives. Ivory knives. Ivory knives. And there was an awesome illustration of that wolf too somewhere where he's getting the better of you. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good picture, yeah. Um, I have some really to me I took some notes on what I thought were some horribly written sentences that made me You found some clunkers? Yeah. Like a bad dream where the scene suddenly changes into something entirely different. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? 
I also like on the same page. You have no desire to be involved in building the Great Wall of China. <laughs> Great sentence. Or for that matter, to be taken to another planet by aliens. I, yeah, that's, it presumes too much, I yeah, think. I have a lot of desire. I have a lot of desires to build the Great Wall of China. Oh, here's another set. This was my uh, possible Bulwer Lytton candidate for worst closing sentence in an imaginary novel. I don't know if you're familiar with that, the Bulwer Lytton contest. My, one of my favorite books of all time uh, is the first one. It's like um, people write in an imaginary opening sentence to an imaginary novel oh, and yeah, try to write yeah. the worst sentence mm -hmm. they possibly can. So this is one of... The year is 1940. The place, London. That's <laughs> that great? I think that, isn't that the ending? I think it is. It's it. the end. <laughs> that is maybe the worst ending sentence I've ever heard. With a with an illustration of a radio and a candle. Oh. So I guess talking about Hitler, that's as closest you get. You know, this is one of the um, Paleolithic Stone Age kind of thing. Luckily, there are no babies. They could never survive the migration. I loved that. Yeah. That jumped out at me immediately. <laughs> Did it good. Good. And, yeah. and imagine reading this as a, uh, as, well, as anyone. It doesn't even have to be a kid. Just anyone reading that. Luckily, there are no babies. Like, you were reading this as a kind of, you know, modern American where you try to have a uh, a reason for everything in a plot, like in a movie or whatever, yeah, yeah. like no plot holes. And I feel like his editor probably said, you need to make a sentence here that describes that there were no babies because they would never, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. This this just doesn't even make sense. <laughs> you know, this Game of Time yeah. book is a little off the rails yeah. without mentioning Listen, everything it. else is fine, but I don't understand. You know, the, like, you can totally understand what, like all the spaceship, all the completely, all the shit that does not make sense. The sheep-sized bugs, I'm good with that. Dude, like, I just feel this has editor malpractice written all over it, that sentence. <laughs> it definitely jumps out. Now, I have a beautiful sentence in here. Like, it, uh, here's some really good writing. He got to kind of stretch. Finally, your faith is justified, for you smell a fresh breeze blowing across a field of new-mown hay. Love it. Love new-mown. New-mown. It's, it's hyphenated. New-mown hay. That's beautiful. That's like German. It's beautiful. New-mown hay. And then there's also... Dapple gray horse. I knew you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, dapple gray hyphenated again. And then... He's good with the hyphens. Oh, very good. And then, finally... A mournful hooting. Yeah. Speaking about it, that's great. Yes, it's beautiful. Mournful hooting. I mean, especially in this desert of prose. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Luckily, there are no babies. They could never survive their migration. You go from that field to, of new moan. Oh, when you heard that, it's like, oh my God, like, like oh, water in an oasis in a desert of you've horrible given me writing. Sustenance. Yeah, I can go on. My favorite writing was the death ending. The final death ending. Oh, let's bring that up. You take the first tunnel and follow it on and on until you begin to wonder whether you are going around in circles. What can this mean? Perhaps time itself is slowing. You are nearing the point of exhaustion and begin to feel very cold. You see an opening up ahead and stars shining. You step outside on barren ground. It is bitter cold. Even though there is no wind, you know you will freeze if you stay more than a few minutes. Maybe not that long, for the air seems very thin, as if you were on top of a very high mountain. You find yourself gasping for breath. You look up at the clear, cold night sky, studded with thousands of stars. Among the stars, you notice a disk, the size of the sun, that gives off a dim red light, like a dying ember. 
What could that sun-sized disc be? Is a sun? Could it be a sun? What could that sun-sized disc be? There's only two options. A sun or the sun. That, that's pretty funny. But the rest of it is good. That, that was a good ending. I agree. I mean, by a good ending, I mean a cruel and terrifying ending for a child. Which is a good ending. Which is good. I I, yeah, I mean, when you... I, I was reading the other day about... God, I never know how to pronounce his name. Is it Roald Dahl? Yeah, I think Roald Dahl. Yeah, the um, Charlie and Shock and everything. Um, I was thinking, you know what's... Why these are probably perennial su- per- perennially successful is maybe because, like, violence has been so anesthetized from... Not our society, like violence is huge in our society, but from like kind of childhood, like even when we were talking about these like rewrites of these books and stuff are kind of like sanitized. Um, yeah, sanitized. And I feel like you almost need that kind of violence in fairy tales, like the little red riding hood kind of thing. The element of, of real danger. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something about just the kingdom of childhood that you need that direction like as in like a compass you know north south east and west you need this direction of infinite violence to make you believe in like infinite wonder i think kids are like smart like that and i mean that's one of the reasons i gravitated towards these books it wasn't like i was like a particularly morbid kid i like you know what i mean i like you know unicorns and ponies and whatever but um (laughs) you know sprinkle a little jesus in there but uh yeah loved a good violent ending it it made it feel real you know i didn't wouldn't have bought it otherwise i would have been like this is some bullshit my bullshit meter as a kid would have been going off if there was no violent ending yeah if it's too polite then there's no real stakes involved yeah those fairy tales the original endings like cinderella or sleeping beauty you know the lady gets thrown out the window and impaled on a fence post Hansel and Gretel. What's going to happen? They're going to get cooked alive. They're, They're going to get, get cooked alive, and I love it. As a kid, I'm like, this no is great. Way to sanitize there. Nah. It shouldn't be. Yeah. It has teeth to it. Great. Love love the violent, destructive endings. The, and the this violence is, is an essential part of these books. And that was, I mean, that's an insanely depressing ending for a kid because basically you're like, well, the earth is going to end one day and there is no God. You know what I mean? That's and those, are, and those are the like, worst. Anything where you're actively ripped apart by something is bad enough on its own. The worst endings are those cosmic existential yeah, nightmare Yeah, absolutely. There's so many like horror-filled endings where it's... And these yeah. books have such a way of delivering those in a way that I really don't know of anything outside of poems. It's not like a book of children's poems where you dive, you know, <laughs> cosmically, and, you know, like uh, some H.P. Lovecraft for kids. But yeah, that's that's what's so good. It's philosophical role playing. Yeah. And that's what makes even like a Candlemaker ending just as good as the Loch Ness ending, just as good as the cosmic sun burnout death ending, because they all balance each other out. I feel yeah. they were all insane, excruciating death endings, cosmically. Yeah, you're right. Tortured. You need like those crushing wallpaper endings. kind of like you need a really stupid, stupid endings ending. to make those ones sweeter yeah Yeah. you're right so maybe we need to thank the colonial candle maker bad hour of this book i think uh, nick tyler and his family are an essential part of delivering (laughs) the overall i am curious to know just for my own sake if it's the same famous paleontologist yeah maybe i'm confusing two books because there's an ending with the eggs i think i'm in journey under the sea i think that's where my head is i think i'm i think i'm an episode ahead carlton frisbee shows up in the next book no well listen the Loch Ness ending. You bring the egg back. 
Yeah, I think it's I just like, made that up. It's an example of one of those classically, perfectly unsatisfying endings. Yeah. Because as much as I hate that, I love to hate that It ending. lets you, like, imagine what might happen. I, I, I found them less satisfactory when you show up someplace and he's like, well, you're just going to make the best of your life now in whatever year this is. Yeah. But when you have a dinosaur egg and you give it to the scientist, and that's the ending is you just sit by the phone and wait for him to call you back. <laughs> yeah, I love that up. And you wait like a month and he's like, I hope the scientist calls me back. The end. That's such a weird ending. Right, I love that. I love There's how no glory. Depressing and creepy There's it no is. There's no payoff. Yeah. The whole payoff is that it's not a payoff. Do you know what I loved? That we're going to get to this one eventually and, you know, mark this down mm -hmm. when we get to it. I don't know what book it was. I just remember it from my childhood. This particular ending just stuck with me and haunted me. The ending was something like you have some kind of boating accident, okay? But that's not the ending. The ending is you're rescued, but the ending is that you tell people about your boating accident. And over the years, you start to exaggerate the story until it becomes more and more dramatic, and then no one wants to listen to you anymore. The end. It's something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure I'm not like very accurate with my memory here, but there's this basically the ending is that you become a liar and nobody likes you. And, nobody it, and it has nothing to do with the actual adventure. It's just that like, you know, ah, ah, ah. The mm. endings that were mm. traumatic mm. for me, most of them involved not being able to die. <laughs> like having yes. consciousness. Yeah. Like never ending consciousness and just being aware that you can't die. Yeah. I love those where it's, it's an ending, but it's more of getting to this point of humanity. It's excruciating and delivering in a way that's one page long for a child. Amazing. For a young adult. Yeah. And that's what separates these things from what I never really like about a lot of young adult books that I ever read. Yeah. If you're, if you're like a novelist, let's say you're just a children's, you know, a children's author. You only get one ending. You know, I mean, I know that's an yeah, obvious yeah. point, but here you get to experiment. You know, I bet if you gave like a, a somebody a contract to write, you know, 200 books, they'd get to stretch their chops <laughs> sure, a little bit. Sure. But if you just got like one children's, but you got to make it end, you can't have a weird ending. Can you imagine like freaking writing Harry Potter? And at the end of it, you're just like, and the phone, no. yeah, the phone rings <laughs> and you are afraid to answer it. And so you hide the end, you know, and Harry, and Harry yeah. never answered the phone. And nobody believed yeah, him. Nobody, nobody believed, believed he ever happened. Yeah. Just like a weird ending. There's no way those books would end weird. Yeah. Some kind of like non- linear ending you know it's just you would you <laughs> oh the controversy would never end can you imagine or like just if top gun let's just take the movie top, okay, sure. top gun sure. ends in some kind of weird give me a weird like Iceman, like Bill Kimmer just, yeah, he just wait, he's just staring at the phone in silence it's almost like that Simpsons you know where he's like erotic cakes you know yeah, exactly. like, so, see if there was one Simpsons episode and that was it yeah started. yeah but that's what makes it so amazing it's yeah. you know just one of all of those <laughs> yeah but yeah you get when you get 40 of them you can kind of experiment and get so you can get stretch freaky. you have that bravery of of being weird. Absolutely. It's a way that you can deliver that strangeness and make it impactful and make it sensical. All right, Brian, so what was your favorite ending? Aside from the very evocative cosmic death sun disc ending, yeah. there was an ending that I found very peculiar in a unique way that said best in show to me. All right, let's hear it. When you finish recounting your tale, he says, it is strange that we have met. I have tuberculosis. <laughs> And no doctor in Boston can help me. My only hope is to reach a future time. I think it's my only hope too, you say. 
If we help each other, I think we can find our way back to your time. My new time, he replies. The two of you shake hands on it and set out on your quest the next day at sunrise. Together, you're successful in finding your way to the present time. Your friend from the past is cured with the help of modern medicines and later becomes a history teacher who is known throughout the country for his amazing knowledge of life in colonial America. It's great. Love, love the word tuberculosis. They have a plan at sunrise that they're going <laughs> to a different time. We're going to get medicines. And they do. I like that you're shaking hands with this guy too. Just like, <laughs> fine. Obviously, I'm gonna get. I just gotta get some medicine. Tuberculosis. Fine. Gonna get that sweet Pfizer stuff, and yeah, we got it. You just take anti-tuberculosis medicine, and you're fine. <laughs> How about uh, you, Bill? What was it? What was your uh, favorite ending in the Cave of Time? I think it has to be going to 3742, where you have Netflix and chill. I think out of all these unsatisfying endings, Netflix and chill sounds pretty good, especially like in some kind of virtual reality future time. Love it. And I would love to see the last movie ever made too. Oh Wouldn't yeah, because you know they don't make any more. Yeah. No Cadillacs every year, but you have no idea. What if it's just like not, you know, they're just kind of like, oh, oops. You know, we should we should have quit like we should have quit like 300 movies ago, but we or I think it's Jurassic Park, Jurassic yeah. World, Jurassic World 2. No, no narrative. narrative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just leave it there. Well, on that note, it's good. I feel like if anyone actually listened to this, their brains are hurt. Like hurting right now. They're like, I didn't want to think this much about the cave of time. I, I just wanted want to, to spend remember time it. In the cave of time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and stare at the phone. <laughs> I hope it rings. Hey, um, you got anything else, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, we should do that. And then we should do some kind of like thank you for listening to Thanks for listening to another episode of Reading Roulette, the world's only choose your own adventure literary podcast. Find us on the internet. <laughs> oh, I mean, we might have to edit this in after we actually get a website. <laughs> At uh, readingroulette.net. Shoot us an email, readingroulette.podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email or give us a like on Facebook at uh, Reading Roulette Podcast. There's probably a Twitter somewhere and uh, other kinds of social media shit, right? Thanks for listening, everybody, for Reading Roulette. I'm Brian. I'm Bill. We're going to try to find our way out of Red Rock Canyon. And uh, next time, we will tackle Journey Under the Sea. Choose your own adventure number two by R.A. Montgomery. I'm going to phone that one in. And if you have any old books, send them in. <laughs> yeah, please. Send them in. <laughs> We're missing some of these books. We're missing a couple dozen. Yeah. Anyway, thanks very much. <laughs> you know, there's something I did want to say. I had I had a catchphrase. Well, now's the time. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to say I've been waiting my whole life to have a time to say this. I want to say at the beginning though. I forgot to do it. Oh, let's um, we can do the beginning all over. Let's do the beginning. <laughs>
This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. And I'm Bill Lyon. And this week, choose-your-own-adventure number one, The Cave of Time by Edward Packard. Reading Choose. Reading. Choose your own. Reading. Choose your own adventure podcast. Welcome, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Today I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I ask that you choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Do you ride the woolly mammoth? For Reading Roulette and Brian Ward, I'm Bill Lyon, reminding you that whether you're pro-choice or pro-gun, we can all agree to be pro-reading and pro-adventure. Pro-adventure. Adventure. Adventure.